Would you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop, and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, a very warm welcome. Thank you. And, of course, thank you to all our returning listeners for joining me and my guests today on our show. Whenever I approach potential guests, I'm always asked, of course, what my show is about and how does my guest fit in or how can my guest add value to the topic. And because my answer is, well, this show is a resource our listeners can access to make better business decisions and because my guests, for most part, are not public personalities used to talking about themselves and their craft in public forums, their answer is almost always the same. I'd like to appear on your show, but I'm afraid I don't have anything to offer you or anything to offer to the topic you're talking about, decision-making. So let me address this statement because it couldn't be further from the truth. Everyone I approach to be a guest has differentiated themselves in their professional lives for doing exceptional work and achieving significantly above average results when compared to their peers. Now, of course, we all like to know um, how Richard Branson or Bill Gates have made their fortune or even how some ordinary people have built fortunes by dedicating themselves to their craft. And you will find, you know, write-ups on, on LinkedIn that tell you what most successful people in the world do. Um, but for majority of us, we just want to be better at what we do today, so work becomes easier, more enjoyable, less stressful, and that it brings better results for us, for our business, for our employers, for our colleagues. And of course, because all our actions, even the most automatic ones, originate and are the conclusion of a cognitive activity, my guest and I try to break down for you how they arrive to their decisions to differentiate um, what they do and turn it into a great outcome and achieve greater um, results in what they do. So my guest today is no exception to what I just described. His name is Colin Gray. He's a professional speech writer and reports writer. He's exceptional at what he does. And with my help, he has agreed to share with you how he creates the striking content that allows his clients to impact their audiences exactly how they intend. So this way, our hope is that you can pick up some tips on how to have greater impact through your communication. And of course, Colin didn't describe his work in the terms that I just did. Um, in fact, he told me that there's nothing special, there's no secret he can share, he just does it. Isn't that right, Colin? <clears throat> yeah, I'm afraid that it is. I just do it. <laughs> 
Welcome to the show, Colleen. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you for agreeing to be here today. I, I know how extremely busy you are. Uh, so let me share a bit more about you. You are the principal of Shades of Grey Communications, Inc., a company that focuses primarily on speech and report uh, writing, but also offers a broad range of other writing services, as well as strategic communications planning and advice. And forgive me, but I find myself every time when I read the company's name or come across it to be smiling because um, I can't imagine what it's like to have a company named uh, or linked to to something that was as infamous as the Fifty Shades of Grey book, and, and I'm sure you must have come across that uh, connection more than once before, have you not? I, I need to be clear, I had the name first. <laughs> and I, I know that. years <laughs> in advance, uh, and I chuckled when the book came out. Um, actually, uh, many of my clients are uh, Ontario government sort of ministries and uh, organizations and so forth under the umbrella of the Ontario government. And I had a period, I guess a year and a half or so ago, when all of a sudden I realized that people weren't getting my emails, and I couldn't figure out why. And I would call, and they'd say, well, you know, you, know, you never sent it in. And I said, yeah, well, I did. Would you check? And they would then realize it had gone into a spam or a junk folder, and we finally put together uh, that the some filter or other within the government's computer system was picking up on shades of gray. And uh, I, the problem seems to have corrected itself, but for a while I really would, did have to follow up every email with a phone call to say, if you don't get the email, could you check your junk folder? Yeah. And uh, I actually considered changing my email address, but I decided instead to hold firm. Well, good for you. You know, it's good to stick with your original plan because uh, there, there must be some reason for you calling it. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I did want you can your listeners to know that I do, in fact, also have a website, which they are free to visit, but it will be disappointingly low on pornography. <laughs> well, you know, depends what people are looking for, but as long as they get to what they're looking for, then uh, uh, the listeners should be happy. Uh, so let, let me say more about, uh, about you, uh, because I know you're a writer with extensive experience in both the public and private sector, as you mentioned. Uh, you serve as uh, then Ontario Opposition Leader Dalton McGuinness speechwriter in 2002 and 2003, and then following the provincial election of 2003, um, you worked in the Premier's office uh, when uh, Dalton McGuinty became a Premier, writing speeches and reports for him, as well as for other several uh, cabinet minister, ministers. In late uh, 2004, you joined the Office of Health and Long-Term Care Minister George Smitherman, where you served as speechwriter and director of communications until August of 2006, when you left to form uh, Shades of Grey Communications. And I will come back to the name because I am interested to know uh, the decision behind calling your company uh, that, as you said, long before the book came out. Uh, but in addition to several Ontario government ministries, you also have clients that include John Wright of Ipsos Reid, the Health Council's Council of Canada, and the Canadian Club of Toronto. Uh, you have written and edited reports for organizations like Scotiabank, Toronto Community Housing, and Canada Health InfoWay. And before you took up speech writing, you were a reporter for CTV National News. Um, and in your career with CTV, you covered news stories from one side of the country to the other, from the collapse of the cod fishery on the East Coast 
to the signing of the Meech Lake Accord in Ottawa, to the Gustafson Lake standoff in British Columbia. And those are things that I'm not um, aware of all of them because I lived in Canada for uh, only 10 years. But I know in talking to others that were quite uh, big events for uh, for Canadians. So um, let's start with the company's name. What caused you to decide to call your company Shades of Grey? Uh, more than anything else, it was the, an attempt to be moderately clever. It's a play on my last name. My last name is Gray. Uh, but insofar as I would ever take the trouble to defend the name, I, I guess I think that, that good writing encompasses shades of gray. It isn't all black and white. And you, the, the messages that you're trying to convey are very seldom black and white. The style with which you write isn't always black and white. Uh, and so I, I guess I thought that in the end that, that name was not only um, sort of mildly clever, but also mildly appropriate. So I went with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, I mean, uh, I don't know how other people feel, but, but that's exactly the thinking that uh, um, uh, elicits uh, your company's name elicits for me because it's immediately relevant that there isn't a clear-cut uh, way of doing it, which is what we're talking about here today, to help people uh, appreciate how you do it, but also, um, uh, you know, maintain their own style. So um, a career in writing and in television, so it's all media-related. How did you end up there? I know you personally, so I know that uh, some of the connections uh, that you have to, to media, but how did you end up in media in the first place? I, I come from a family of journalists, so it, yeah. was, it always seemed inevitable to me that that's what I ought to do. Uh, as it turned out, my father was a, a newspaper reporter and my mother was a radio reporter, so that left television. And uh, I, through uh, sort of a series of connections and interviews and so forth, I got a job with, uh, with CTV News and started as a copy clerk. Uh, moved out to the East Coast as a as a field producer, and then got a job reporting, which I did in, uh, I guess, in the East Coast in Toronto and out in Vancouver. Yeah. So the the job reporting was a lot uh, uh, more client facing. Um, what caused you to go into something that's more behind the scenes? Well, to be honest, anybody who knows me knows that I was uh, at best a mediocre television reporter because I really didn't much like being on camera. And if you don't really like being on camera, you really shouldn't pursue a career as a television <laughs> reporter. So I uh, I left CTV uh, at sort of 2001, I guess. They uh, there was they they were making a bunch of changes. We had different opinions on what I should do. And I didn't like where it seemed I was going, so I, I took a buyout and I left. Uh, and I then needed to figure out what I was going to do because I was faced with the reality that I had a finite amount of money, uh, after which grocery shopping was going to become complicated. So yeah. I, uh, I moved to Toronto and I started to look around for work as a speechwriter. And I, I, you know, and I found work. I got, I got a job and, uh, and it sort of it took off from there. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and, you know, a lot of people will relate to you. We only have like um, two minutes to the, to the break, but uh, when we come back, um, um, it would be great to actually, um, uh, if you help us understand, like how did you even make the, the decision to go from uh, something that, uh, yes, still media, but 
you could have chosen different avenues uh, within that. So leveraging your skill set, but in a way that it's quite different. And why speech writing, again, of, of anything else? You know, um, let's say ghost writing for books. Or... There is a story I can tell you. It'll likely take longer than a minute or so, so I can either start it or we can pick it up after your break. It's up to you. So, so let's pick it up after the break because I, I love stories and uh, so are our listeners and uh, we, will, um, uh, we will come back after the break. But um, for everyone, we're going for, uh, away for a couple of minutes. If you do have any, um, any questions for us, please uh, email me at lellis, L-E-L-L-I-S, at trustedadvisoryboard.com and send us all your questions. Um, in the meanwhile, uh, you'll listen to a short commercial and please join us after the break. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advance be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hello. I'm Laura Ellis, 
And this is because there's more, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. And I'm here today with Colin Gray, who uh, is a professional speech and reports writer, who um, agreed to share with us all um, some of the uh, criteria around what allows him to create such great content for his clients. And just before the break, we were, um, we were talking about um, his transition from uh, work in television, where he worked as a reporter, to, to speech writing. And um, he told me that there is a story, so let's hear it. Right, okay. I, I, uh, I tend to drift from thing to thing. I, so I, never, I often don't have a satisfactory answer when people say, well, how did you end up deciding to do this? And my mm-hmm. honest answer is, well, I kind of drifted into it. It happened by accident. But I can say honestly that my interest in speech writing can be attributed actually to an episode of the west wing which oh. uh, most people will know is a you know a show from a few years ago created and written by a guy named Aaron Sorkin who is widely acclaimed as a uh, as a screenplay writer i think he's absolutely brilliant uh, his the criticism of him is often that he makes his characters sound too intelligent which i never really accept as a criticism but he, uh, <laughs> and he and he's best known i think for the west wing anyway early in i think it was season 1 the 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 white house staff gathers at the president's farm to discuss the upcoming State of the Union speech. It was an entire hour show about speech writing and about the, the act of creating a speech and about how you handle it and how you do it. And it was very entertaining and very interesting. And I realized that that might actually be something I wanted to do. Now, the, the irony of the whole thing is, I think, and I can't take credit for this line because it's a friend of mine who, who sort of came up with it, but the fact is that watching that episode of The West Wing didn't make me want to be a speechwriter. It actually made me want to be Aaron Sorkin. But that was never going to happen, so I settled for option B and ended up getting into speechwriting. <laughs> Good for you. And you know what? It's interesting you mentioning that because recently there's a show on um, – on uh, Netflix about uh, drug uh, drug trafficking called Narcos and uh, how one of the um, uh, the Colombian presidents became president because he was an amazing uh, he wrote all the speeches uh, for the president, and uh, when the uh, president was assassinated, he was the one who took his place. So it just shows that uh, uh, there's a lot that goes in into writing content that can actually, you never know when it puts you in, in the front seat. But, of course, I, that's... I don't want to assure any of my clients that I have no plans in that regard, which is to take over from them after they're killed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. you, you, you have sure. no intention to run for government yet? Absolutely or? none whatsoever. <laughs> well, it's been, it's been be said before. No, it has been said before. That. <laughs> okay. Well, so let's go back to, um, uh, to what you do and your... And your craft. So let me start with, um, uh, I'm going to start with a quote. And again, uh, uh, knowing that you're uh, very uh, unlikely um, praise your own work, I'm going to start a quote by someone else. Um, I was always struck, still am, since he's established himself as an independent writer, by his ability to strike just the right tone or produce that perfect turn of phrase. And he does so effortlessly in prose that is both simple and elegant, whether it's a critically important speech to a key audience or an annual report that needs some fine-tuning. There are few writers around who can do it better, quicker, or more creatively. Do you know who wrote that? I I really don't know. 
it was uh, Adam Fryer. Oh, and right. Okay. Yes. Yes. He, he, he put that on my LinkedIn page. Well, that's very he nice. Because he's did. a pretty good writer himself. Yeah. And, and I chose that because he is a pretty good writer himself and was a, a very eloquent way of describing um, your work uh, because I came across others that said exactly the same things but probably um, not as written as well as Alan did. So uh, let's talk about what you do. So is there a process? Like, talk, talk us through what happens. You get a phone call and people say what? Well, okay, I get a phone call and people say generally one of two things. We need, we need a speech or, or we need a report. Um, uh-huh. Report writing is not as interesting as speech writing, and I suspect that you and I won't, won't talk about it that much, and that's fair enough. But it's actually a pretty big part of what I do because, because Everybody ends up needing to write a report once in a while. Companies, uh, government organizations, healthcare organizations, if it's, you know, whether it's an annual report or some other form of communications report, that ends up being something people need. So I do a lot of that. But I also write speeches, and that's, I will get those calls. I'll get a call from a government ministry saying that uh, the minister is going to be giving uh, a speech to oh, I don't know, the Canadian Club or to the Canadian Cancer Society or whatever it might be. And we need a, uh, a five-minute speech. We need a 20-minute speech. You know, we need something. And, and, and that, you know, the discussion begins there. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you say next? Because obviously uh, there's a dialogue. It, it begins there. But w- what happens next? Talk us through your process and the, the conversation that you have that uh, begins with that but then ends up with a final product. Sure. Well, uh, for the the sake of this example, I'm going to pretend that I don't know the answer already, although frequently when you do what I do and when you have regular clients, you end up knowing the answer to that question. If you write for a specific minister, for instance, uh, you'll end up knowing, generally speaking, what it is they want when they say he's going to be making an announcement at whatever, such and such a hospital or whatever it might be. So you don't need to ask as many questions. But if it's somebody you've not written for before, and particularly if it's a you know if it's a, a speech of some importance for which they have you know a fair number of, of of hopes and desires, you need to say first of all what you know who's the audience, what is he or she going to say, what do you want people to walk out of that room feeling and thinking, uh, and that's really the big question. What do you want to accomplish with this speech? Do you want to inspire? Do you want to inform? Do you want to attack? Those are really the three things that you end up doing one way or the other. Uh, you know, campaign speeches are all about inspiring. Um, uh, day-to-day cabinet minister speeches tend to be about informing the latest policy development, whatever it is. And uh, and again, you know, uh, uh, sort of late in a in a politician's term, campaigns or speeches become once again about attacking the other guy. Uh, so. You, gotta, you have to find out what it is people want, uh, what it is they want to accomplish with the speech. Then you need to get very specific about the things they want to say. Um, and j- that's when the sort of the information exchange happens. And they will send you whatever documentation they have what, relating to the things that you're either going to announce or talk about. There's a certain amount of research that I end up doing, but nobody ever spent money wisely paying me to do a lot of research. Um, generally speaking, the research gets sent to me, and I use it to craft the uh, the speech or you know or the report. But that's the conversation. What do you yeah. what do you want to say? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want people to leave the room feeling? Yeah. So um, 
So I'm going to throw um, in my expertise, which is the decision-making part. There's so many things there that you said that are so important, and they're so important to uh, elevating the quality of a decision. Um, so you said, I mean, you are describing to us your talent and sometimes your gift. Sometimes it's very difficult to ask people to break down um, their gift into actionable uh, steps. So this is why I created this show, so I can talk to people like you, and then I can translate for those who listen uh, what it is that they need to do. But you said a number of very key um, uh, messages there. Like one of them, you started by saying, I know them well to know what they want. And, and most of the time people either have that knowledge or, or don't have that knowledge or assume that knowledge. So having an understanding of the context, of the greater context, of the bigger picture, of the intention that happened before or, or the actions that happened before to inform what will happen in the future, that's very important. And a lot of the time decision makers don't have that, uh, uh, that luxury, yet it's a critical um, element uh, in elevating the quality of the decision-making. The other things were, uh, were equally important, and, and you identify them as questions because it's about knowing what you want to achieve in the very end. And what I find, I don't know how you find it, and I'll, I'll ask you about it, but what I find is that a lot of the time people get, um, uh, although they know originally what they want to achieve, as they start or engage into an action, the next decision starts to veer off from what they want to achieve because there isn't a constant reminder of, so where am I really going with this? Um, and then, of course, there's a, there's a whole packaging around what you're trying to achieve. Who is your audience and, and, and translating your thoughts or your, um, you know, your message to the audience? I myself, I, I love writing, and I don't know if I'm good or bad, but I am... I write. So when I first developed my website, I actually wrote the, my own content, and, and I found that nobody understood me because, uh, not nobody, but it, it, I, I made it so complicated that in the end what I was trying to say was getting lost, and, um, and I had to reuse the writer in the end. So a lot of important elements to, uh, to that. What do you find that your clients struggle with? Do you, do you think that they come to you because they don't have the time just or, um, you know, and that was just one suggestion. What do you think makes them come to you in the first place? Well, it's, it's, it's partly a time thing. Uh, yeah. Writing can be a time-consuming process, and a lot of organizations don't have the, the I guess I'm going to say the manpower or the time to, to get these things done. It's, it's also, it's a particular skill. Um, and yeah, and uh, a friend of mine uh, who who also uh, writes speeches and I joke that we are frequently hired by people way smarter than us um, to do something that comes very easily to us that they just don't know how to do they just aren't any good at uh, and that's not an exaggeration some as I say I run into people all the time who know much more than me and who would by any sort of reasonable test be considered to be a smarter smarter than me who just don't write well. And I'm lucky enough to be able to do that one thing. So it's a very marketable skill because it's something that gets that uh, there's a need for good writing, and I I expect there's going to be a need for good writing for a very long time. And uh, frequently I get people who have, 
you know, I'll take you back to report writing. Frequently, I'll be asked to come in and take a look at a very densely written sort of policy-heavy, uh, difficult-to-read, challenging, unappealing report, and I, I get asked to make it into something that um, someone on the street could would be interested to read. And I always call it plain Englishing. And it's, it's just stripping away all of the things that make it complicated and dense and uninteresting and trying to write it in a way that's moderately engaging and moderately interesting. And that's, that's what I offer. And I offer that in report writing, but I offer it in speech writing as well. You, you need to write speeches um, in such a way as to make the, the speech deliverer, the speaker, seem like an interesting person. And that doesn't always mean uh, writing in long, complicated sentences and using really big words and, and being flowery. It can often be very straight ahead, straightforward. It, it depends on the speaker, it depends on the audience, but it's almost always to do with using English in a plain, straightforward, engaging way. And that's what I offer. So time is one thing, uh, but very often it's because they don't have people who are good at doing that one particular thing. Yeah, and, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I started with time particularly because I don't believe that's uh, the issue at all. In it fact, sometimes that's, it's in fairness. There's sometimes they're just they don't have the people to do it right then. Uh, yeah. And annual report's a good example of that. Annual report's not a hard thing to write. Um, but uh, very few organizations have, have the time to put in. They have people doing other things, and yeah. uh, that's why writers often get, uh, get hired to do that kind of thing. So in fairness, sometimes it's the case. Yeah. Other yeah. times and it's the fact that they just don't have good writers on staff. Sure, sure. And, and, and you talked about the, um, uh, you know, the actual uh, uh, annual report. Um, I actually find that very relevant because, you, you know, you said uh, we'll talk more about speeches and less about uh, uh, annual report. I actually find that very relevant because it, it's a speech um, writing has one purpose, but the annual report, it's really a, um, a mirror of the organization to the entire world for, for public companies. So what do you believe? I, I know that you said plain English, but what, in your opinion, makes a good annual report? What information do you keep and what do you let go? If you were to, I, I know you have a talent, and that's a difficulty, right, trying to translate your talent into, into words that can be used by other people. But if you were to give someone advice uh, that is more specific than just plain English, what would you say? So they can write a better um, annual report, for example. Well, the thing about annual reports is that, that I mean, the, the part that people are, the companies are legally mandated to produce, um, mm -hmm. that's not done by someone like me. That's done by someone who understands the numbers and sets them out. Sure. The thing about it, as, as you said, is that an annual report is a, it's a, it's a record of, of that company's life that, uh, that gets posted and then exists forever. And I think that a lot of organizations, when they think about that, realize, that they want to they want to take advantage of that fact and, and make uh, a very positive statement and paint a very positive picture about what their company or organization did that year um, and so you you go from having the the thing that you're supposed to do which is the basically the numbers uh, the fiscal picture and you suddenly realize well no I want a communications piece about what what it is that that company X did this year what we accomplished why it's a good thing why we're looking forward to next year so that's what people realize they want and that's when you know that's when they call me and say so this is you know this is what we're doing and and you you, you sort of write them all the same way you know 2006 was a good year for company X uh, 
you know, we're mandated to do this, this, and this, and we, uh, we made, you know, we made great headway in several, several key areas, and there were a few challenges, and we'll be addressing those next year, and you, you sort of introduce the company that way, and then you, you break down the various things that were done and the programs that were introduced and the initiatives that were successful, and you generally don't write too much about the initiatives that weren't, and, uh, and then you wrap it up. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a paint-by-numbers thing, but it's, you always want to write it in such a way as to make people reading it feel that the company is, is an impressive entity. And my, I guess that's, you know, that's, that's the skill. Certainly that's what people want to, to read at the end of the day. That, or rather, that's what the, the people who hire me want to read at the end of the day. Yeah. I don't know how many people actually read annual reports. I've never known that. But they're yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it's funny because uh, you know that I uh, lived in the US, uh, UK, sorry, not US, UK <laughs> before I moved to Canada. And one of the jobs that I had uh, was uh, dealing with corporate secretaries and reading annual reports. So uh, there are a couple of questions. Yes, I, I used to read them more than I do. I, I only read the ones that my clients write uh, these days, I have to admit. So we only have an, uh, a minute or less to the break, but I do want to come back after the break and just ask you, uh, what do you do in situations where the company uh, companies perform uh, poorly? Because um, it's been a tough, uh, I don't know, almost um, – soon 10 years of recession, and a lot of companies have had a very challenging uh, period. Um, so I wonder what do you do in those situations, and how can we translate that into uh, situations where clients' daily communications have to uh, paint a not-so-happy picture. But we'll be back after two minutes' break, and we'll talk more about rating. So see you in two minutes. Talk to you soon. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. 
Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. And I'm here with Colin Gray, who's a professional speech and report writer, who's telling us more about uh, uh, his experience of, of creating great content for his clients who call him and, and say, I need a good speech or a, a good speech. I need a speech for this intent and with this intent, or I need uh, to refine my um, annual report. And, and Colin, you're just telling us uh, before the, the break about um, annual reports, because I was, I was interested in that, and uh, I, I, I want to know, given that it's been a tough time for many businesses, have you come across situations where your clients ask you to write things knowing that they haven't had a good year, um, but they need something to give their employees and to the market uh, to, to encourage that what's coming is better? And how have you dealt with those situations, if you've come across them? Well, I, I guess I have to a, a certain limited extent. You, you, everyone has good and bad years, and it's true. There have been probably more bad years recently than good ones. I, I think the answer, I, I don't think, is going to be a real surprise. You, Generally speaking, what you do is you, you focus on the positive. Uh, so you, you tend not to spend a lot of time in an annual report focusing on the things that didn't go well, and that, that holds true for other kinds of reports and speeches and just about every other kind of communications writing. You don't, you don't talk a lot about the stuff that didn't work. So in, a, in, an, you know, in, a, in an annual report, there are going to be sort of there were successes in the previous year, and this was them. And you might, you might write about, you might say, you know, and, and you know, we need to acknowledge that uh, this was also a challenging year, and in, in uh, this regard at least. And you might spend a little bit of time explaining how something didn't go that well and what it is you propose to do the following year. But the the sort of the cynical truth is, for the most part, if you had a bad year, you don't really talk about the things that went badly if you can get away with doing that and i'm not i can't judge that because everybody does that um that's you know that's how business works that's how politics works you, you know you don't you don't emphasize the negative yeah i guess yeah. is my answer yeah thank you and thank you for sharing that and and one of the things uh, a thought that that triggers uh, in me is that i come i work with a lot of clients who um, are not uh, are in charge of organizations lead organizations and they feel perhaps the results are not what the um, shareholders would like um, and struggle with how to communicate it well because they, they, they want to keep the integrity of the results. They want to engage their people. So, so it's a very fine uh, uh, balance to, to make. And, you know, um, you said uh, in the break we're having this conversation that uh, you can see the relevance to, uh, to corporations. Well, I can tell you that uh, uh, right now uh, I, uh, in talking to you, I feel that at least, at least public companies, they should all have uh, someone like you uh, to work with because it's a completely different situation when you're employed by someone and you ask to write a speech, no matter how good you are at your job and how well you want to balance uh, the communication, um, you still have a bias uh, and going to decision-making and, and thinking processes. You, you uh, inadvertently have a bias that you are employed by that organization. There's, there's certainly a freedom that comes with being an outsider, a freedom yeah. to make suggestions, a freedom to criticize ideas, albeit politely, but a freedom sure. to point out that this might not be the best way to proceed, which you might not feel as confident doing if you're 
talking to your boss as yeah, opposed to yeah. someone who has hired you for your expertise. There's a kind of a, you, you bring a certain um, inherited credibility when you walk into an office as a hired speechwriter. People sure. hired you because theoretically you're good and, uh, and you go in fairly confident they're going to listen to what you have to say rather than uh, an employee who would go in pretty much expecting being told what to do. So I, I agree with you. That, I think, is a, a pretty important difference. Yeah, yeah. And, and a, a difference that can make a huge difference to the impact that communication has. So we're not even talking about skill set. We're talking about uh, a different kind of motivation, fear of failure, uh, fear of uh, uh, performance and how the performance is being seen. So those are all emotional uh, aspects to what causes someone to make a decision. Uh, interesting, I'll be talking uh, about that uh, with a psychologist next Monday. They impact of emotions on decision making but that's why I'm feeling listening to you that um, where I can uh, help my clients with the communication I will uh, but that I might even suggest that they hire you you'll be getting a lot of calls calling <laughs> sure do you want me to drop off some business cards <laughs> no yes please but it, it's true it's absolutely true that uh, uh, I believe in fact without doing a plug for my own organization that's why I created uh, a company that allows uh, senior decisions make, makers access to instant access to um, expertise that they don't have in-house. So they don't have uh, at one point in time uh, to help them make the right decision. So um, absolutely very, very critical. I mean, cu- communication is huge in any organization, no matter how smart you are on how good the strategy is. If it, you're not choosing uh, the right way to um, communicate it to your company, it's lost. So we talked about speeches, and, and you said that typically they're, um, you know, they divide in three categories. They inspire, they inform, or they're, um, you know, they attack. Tell me about uh, the ones that inspire. Can you share with us some of, there must be some uh, words. So other than the feel that they create, because they inspire, what are some of the words that you find yourself that you repeat or you look for or the structure of the speech. Tell us more. Give us some, give us some hints about what can um, uh, my clients, the audience can use when they look for a speech to inspire. Well, I'm, I'm going to say, first of all, that the disappointing thing about speech writing is that you don't get to write very many of the sort of inspiring, uh, super eloquent, grand rolling wonderful pieces of rhetoric that people immediately associate with speech writing for the most part you don't get to do that i um uh, i suspect that uh what was i going to say the um everybody knows about um uh obama's wonderful speeches um uh-huh. uh, of several years ago and the guy who wrote it's a guy named john farrow i know nothing about him beyond the fact that he's an absolutely superlative speech writer i'm guessing that the best time of his life was the uh, was was the campaign in which Obama was elected president the first time, and I'm guessing that almost immediately after that he settled into a job writing speeches for a president that were not as uplifting, not as as, as inspiring, and were more sort of business focused and and announcement focused and you know progress focused and. I'm pretty sure he'd agree with me when, when I say that those aren't as much fun. So that was the number one thing I wanted to say. You don't get to write those very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and us to, I don't think I really have a good answer for you about, you know, whether there's a specific set of kind of word that you'd want to use or, or, or you know, a, a way of, of, of constructing your phrases. You want, 
you need to figure out what your audience needs to hear to feel inspired, and then you need to deliver that. And that's something that obviously Obama did extraordinarily well, and it wasn't just the speech writing, it was the speech delivering. But how how do I go about writing an inspired speech? I, Laura, I don't know. I, uh, yeah. I, I, figure out, do. <laughs> I figure out what the point of inspiration is, I guess. You know, what is it that's going to make someone sit up in their seat and go, oh, yeah, right, right on. Um, and then I try to deliver that. But I'm not sure that I could, in any kind of honesty, be more specific than that for you right now. And beyond okay. also qualifying that I don't get to do that very often. Yeah, that's yeah. The, almost the disappointing part of the job. You don't get yeah. that many of those. Yeah. So, so let me ask you, and again, I mean, I said it earlier, I, I, I'm not surprised you, you answering this way because you have a gift and it's difficult to break uh, a gift into pieces and to say what makes the gift, right? Uh, but let me ask you, do you have, um, uh, do you have a structure? That you follow, and, and another question. You know, you said you want to know uh, what the audience, what the audience needs to hear to be inspired. Do you find that I'm asking two questions here? So let's stick with the last one, the later, mm-hmm. the latter. Uh, do you find that your um, uh, that your clients know the audience well enough? Yes, or they don't. Usually, do you remember that I, I tend to write for professional politicians um, mm-hmm. <laughs> who who know what it is they're they're about. They know almost almost all of them uh, have done this for a while, and they know what it is they're setting out to accomplish. With uh, and certainly they they are surrounded by people who can remind them what it is that they're setting out to accomplish, and who it, in the audiences are are generally. Very few politicians wander into hostile territory knowingly, so mm-hmm. that that's not usually an issue. Um, yeah. So, yeah, people people know knowing what your audience wants is, and knowing how your audience is likely to react isn't really much of a science. It's 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 pretty straightforward. You just need to make sure you do it. Sure, sure. And how about the the corporate clients? Do you get um, uh, any of those these days, or um, how how do they differentiate in terms of knowing what they're about, knowing what their message is, knowing their audience? Again, I have to qualify. I don't do a, a nearly sure. as many corporate speeches as I do political ones, but I've mm-hmm. I've done a few. Uh, I guess I'd say that. Um, in terms of the, the, the speakers, they are just as informed and they have just as shrewd and calculated an idea of what it is they want to accomplish. They're not always as, um, Chata, may, this is my impression. I'm by no means an expert on this, uh, but my impression is that they're not always as well supported as, as a cabinet minister would be. I mean, cabinet ministers have mm-hmm. entire staff. Uh, devoted to helping them communicate. And I suppose that, that CEOs might as well, but my sense has always been that um, I always expect that I'm going to have to work harder and do more research when I go to write for a bank president, and I haven't done that very often, I don't mean that, but he, uh, just by way of example, I just expect that I'm going to have to do more work when I go to write for someone in the private sector because they won't, they just don't have as much support structure. Yeah, yeah, and 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 this is a huge point that you're making. Then now, can you see why this is so relevant to to corporations? Because this is exactly what is happening. Um, I work with those uh, clients, and this 
what you've described is exactly what happens. What they need to be, and, and we all, I don't know about you, but uh, generally speaking, um, people have this um, uh, almost negative connotation to what it is being a politician, uh, forgetting that there's a lot of uh, good lessons from that. And what you're doing today here, at least for m- me and for my uh, listeners, is to really take um, a look at what politicians do well. And what they do well, they know their audience very well. They know their message very well. They repeat the same message over and over again, um, which it's not what corporate people do, and, and they don't allocate the resources that uh, uh, politicians do to, to communication. So you, you're absolutely right, and that's why, um, that's why a lot of the time uh, the communication is, is very poor. And it has, you know, I mean, for politicians, the effect is one, but for organizations um, are, are greater and not greater by comparison, but they're very big in this spiral all the way down from the top. Uh, to the very last person, to the client, to us, um, and and we see the result of that and what's happening um, in the market. Do you have um, a structure of, of your communication? Like, do you have, you know, uh, the beginning has to have that and it has to end on this, or how do you build it? And, again, I'm sure that it's part of your talent. You've done it for so long, so to break it down but, here maybe. Yeah, it's. Yes, I mean, the, the the short answer is certainly a, a speech of any length at all has to have a, an established structure. Shorter speeches don't necessarily, but um, and that's why when I go to write a shorter speech, I don't really think about um, my structure. I just kind of start writing, and then I, I know I'm finished when I stop. Yeah. But with with longer speeches, you need I I, I will generally. Um, uh, I will generally sort of noodle out um, uh, sort of a, a, I don't know, I'm going to say 10 words. I mean, you know, first word would be introduction. Second word would be, you know, whatever the next section is. And then there'd be a couple little bullet points underneath that with whatever I need to touch on. You should, I would say that to anybody who wants to set about writing a speech. If you're, unless you're really, really good at it, unless you know exactly what you're talking about, you might want to spend a few minutes just putting down the, I call it the skeleton, just, you know, lay out your different sections. um, And and you won't believe it. It helps a lot to do that. You won't believe it. We only have like 20 seconds till the end of the segment. So I know I'm going to have to bring you back because there's still a lot more that I want to ask. And I am going to talk to every single client of mine to listen to your and then ask me questions that I can ask you back. But thank you for today. It was amazing, informative. Um, you were a great guest, as all my guests have been. Um, I'll be back uh, on the same uh, channel in a week's time, next Monday at 9 a.m. And everyone, have a great week. Thank you, Colleen. I hope you enjoyed it. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in, because there's more.